0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sport Box. In the headlines this hour, Kamala Harris accuses President Trump of the greatest failure in American history as the vice presidential candidates clash over the virus, with Mike Pence saying Democrats are excessively pessimistic.
1: And we need to save our country, and Joe Biden is the best leader to do that, and frankly, this administration Thank you. has forfeited Thank you, their right to re-election based on this.
2: We will have a vaccine, we believe, before the end of this year and it will have the capacity to save countless American lives.
0: The Dow rallies more than 500 points to post its best day since July amid hopes a skinny stimulus package from the White House could support the airlines and other troubled sectors. Uh,
3: France reports a new all-time high for coronavirus cases, with 19,000 people testing positive over the last 24 hours, whilst President Macron warns new restrictions will be put in place. The UK infection rate doubles in a week, with over 500 people admitted to hospital, as Prime Minister Boris Johnson defends his local lockdown strategy.
0: And in corporate news, Samsung says third quarter profit likely rose almost 60% driven by demand for devices and increasing chip orders. what a fascinating uh, clash we saw overnight then in this vice presidential and the one thing that I think was very obvious right from the start is that the tone was completely different to the presidential debate. There was a lot more respect being shown by both candidates, but that didn't stop them from raining in blows. Let's talk about the details. So the Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris faced off in what was quite a heated discussion, their first and only match-up. The response to the pandemic dominated the head-to-head, with Harris taking aim at Pence over his role as Chief of the White House Coronavirus Task Force.
1: Well... The American people have witnessed what is the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of our country. And here are the facts 210,000 dead people in our country in just the last several months. Over 7 million people who have contracted this disease. One in five businesses closed. We're looking at frontline workers who have been treated like sacrificial workers. We are looking at over 30 million people who in the last several months had to file for unemployment. And here's the thing. On January 28th, the Vice President and the President were informed about the nature of this pandemic. They were informed that it's lethal in consequence, that it is airborne, that it will affect young people, and that it would be contracted because it is airborne. And they knew what was happening and they didn't tell you. Can you imagine if you knew on January 28th, as opposed to March 13th, what they knew, what you might have done to prepare? They knew and they covered it up.
0: Well, Pence defended the president's handling of the pandemic, uh, attacking Harris for, quote, undermining public confidence in a potential coronavirus vaccine.
2: We're going to have a vaccine Senator, in record time, in unheard-of time, in less than a year, we have five companies in phase three clinical trials, and we're right now producing tens of millions of doses. So the fact that you continue to undermine public confidence in a vaccine, if the vaccine emerges during the Trump administration, I think is is unconscionable. And Senator, I, I just ask you, stop playing politics with people's lives. The reality is that we will have a vaccine, we believe, before the end of this year. And it will have the capacity to save countless American lives. And, and your continuous undermining uh, of confidence in a vaccine, is just, it, it's just unacceptable. <laughs>
0: White House physician Sean Connolly says President Trump has not had COVID symptoms for more than a day. He added the president has not received supplemental oxygen since his hospitalisation, but didn't say if he was still receiving a steroid treatment for the disease. The president returned to the Oval Office yesterday and later posted a video message on Twitter praising the experimental antibody therapy from US biotech company Regeneron.
4: I think this was a blessing from God that I caught it. This was a blessing in disguise. I caught it, I heard about this drug. I said, let me take it. It was my suggestion. I said, let me take it. And it was incredible the way it worked, incredible. And I think if I didn't catch it, we'd be looking at that like a number of other drugs, but it really did a fantastic job. I wanna get for you what I got, and I'm gonna make it free. You're not going to pay for it. Uh,
0: Well, let's uh, pick up uh, and let's talk with Angela Miner then, Professor and Director of the Forensics and Debate Program at the Howard University. Um, Angela, good morning to you and uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And just for for clarity here, can I just say um, you are a supporter of the Democrats at this stage. Uh, Am I correct? You are correct. It's a pleasure to be here. Right, lovely. So thank you. Let, let's just ask you then uh, for some initial thoughts. Um, I felt that it was a much more respectful debate and we actually got to the heart of some key issues. How did you find it?
5: I totally 100% agree with you. I think Senator Kamala Harris, the vice presidential candidate who is making history at this moment, I think her first response out of the gate was fantastic. It was the correct fiery rhetoric that we needed it restored our faith in the debate functionality or purpose of why we gather together and watch these candidates discuss the relevant issues to the citizens and i think she handled it in an excellent manner she knew what to attack first and that is the pressing issue of covid 19 as well as how it is affecting american citizens families and our healthcare system was there enough
0: said about um, fiscal support going forward? Um, we tend to focus on this a lot, given that we are a business channel. But it does seem, as we've watched the furlough programme run its course, and now we see many sectors of the economy starting to shed jobs an- anew. Um, do you think she could have helped... Um, the campaign with a little more focus on exactly how support will be funded going forward and what the democrat program looks like
5: i think there could have been more particularity in those statements as to what exactly the plans are i think that could have been on both parts actually there are some responses from the vice president that were non-responsive. And there were some responses that uh, I believe Vice President, Senator um, Harris, nominee, she she did kind of provide a lot of rhetoric, a lot of political rhetoric. So we do have to deal with the fact that we're dealing with two politicians. But I do believe that when it comes to plans, it was hard to actually outline an exact plan within the two-minute time period that both candidates were getting. You you would find, and as a debate coach, you would find when they would begin their topic of discussion, they would start with some introductory information that was kind of around the subject matter, but not actually head on to the actual subject matter needed or the question that was actually raised on the floor. So yes, I do believe that we, the American people or people in general, we are definitely owed promises and promises that are stated with particularity that are cogent and that answer the question or that at least move us forward with a vision that can give us some security knowing that our, excuse me, that our judicial system is going to be all right regarding uh, a justice filling seat, that the economy is going to be restored and how we're going to restore that. So yes, definitely Uh, They could have worked better at providing more cogent answers.
3: Uh, Professor, very good morning to you. I mean, look, one thing's for sure. Susan Page had a lot easier job than Chris Wallace, but she did a very good job, obviously. Uh, But look, uh, NBC's Alex Seitz waltz puts it this way. The gloves stayed on. The train never left the rails. The sparks never flew. And a fly briefly landed on the VP's head. But but the point I want to make here, um, if I may, (laughs) Professor, is that, yes, it was a a better debate in many ways. But what do Americans really want? I know everyone bemoaned the personality-driven vitriol of the first debate but quite frankly, this one was a bit dull by comparison. Don't people want what they saw last time again?
5: I believe what the Americans really want and what we actually deserve is the truth. We do want the truth. We want some surety. We want to know that Someone is going to be in this office and that's actually really going to care about them. That is going to address their needs and make a difference. They're not going to have any undermining or self-serving needs. We want to be able to trust the president, the vice president in this next office, in this next election, that they're going to move for the people. They're going to make certain examples. We want to make sure that we're going to see unity. We want to make sure this. there's so much polarization, not just between the political candidates, but just in the nation now. We're, we're in a race war. We're in a health war. And this global pandemic has affected all of us. And there's no surety. There's no End in sight. But yes, we have these empty promises that a vaccine is going to be done and completed completely as soon as possible. But then we have the CDC that says, well, wait a minute, it's now airborne, and we don't know when a vaccine will be likely to come. So you have parents who are dealing with homeschooling, where there is battles in almost every single area of life. And so we need Something that we can hold on to on hold on to, something that we can trust, and something that is concrete, that we can see ourselves actually a light at the tunnel coming out of all of these issues that is plaguing our nation. <laughs>
3: Well, Professor, at least you haven't got Brexit to worry about like us as well. But one more question for you. As soon as you're a Democrat supporter and, and of course, the, the senator from California as well, the junior senator there, uh, she was pressed a little bit on the Green Deal as well. And I noticed the uh, Mr. Biden, the former VP, uh, was pressed on this last week as well. The price of the Green Deal as well. I don't think if I was a Democrat or if I was supporting the Democrats, I would know for sure whether it's uh, half a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars, two trillion dollars. How much is the Green Deal going to cost if there is a Democratic Democratic administration? Uh, And and is Mr. Biden uh, and is Kamala Harris, is there ground between them on the Green New Deal?
5: I believe that there's going to be some ground between them. It is it's a territory that Biden talks about. But again, he does not have a plan that he has necessarily addressed. But I do believe uh, Senator Kamala Harris did a good job of defending the Green New Deal, defending fracking, et cetera, et cetera. I think what they're trying to do and what they will need to do is bring in people that will assist them and help them in that particular area. Because when it comes to the actual debates, when it comes to their platforms, they're not giving their actual plans. I think they will have to move in, seek the export, seek out the expert or experts, and try to figure out how they would approach it that will make it most beneficial for um, the American people. This is something that the Trump administration, I believe, has either ignored or has refused to look at the severity of it all.
3: Okay, that's excellent. And uh, I noticed the, the Democrats got the Flywheel Vote website up and running already. That was pretty quick going. Uh, professor, nice to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed for all your excellent analysis today. Uh, Angela Minor is a professor and director of forensic and debate program at Howard University. Right, let us move on and uh, move on to Mr. Cudlow, the White House National Economic Council director. Mr. Cudlow has said that the window. Uh, For another large relief package was rapidly closing, instead telling CNBC he backed President Trump's piecemeal approach to stimulus.
4: I think what President Trump was saying yesterday is that, all right, we're too far apart for a gigantic bill. Uh, Yes, we've only got four weeks to the election and we've got a uh, justice of the Supreme Court to get past. It's too far, too close to the election, not enough time. To get stuff done at this stage of the game, but, 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 President signaled late yesterday, as I'm sure you all reported, that he would sign a standalone bill, which would provide key assistance uh, to airlines, uh, to the uh, small business payroll protection plan, and also the president, uh, on the demand side. Sometimes you have to have a demand side in an emergency. Would provide a thousand dollar direct mail. Uh, economic impact uh, checks to keep things going. It's like an insurance policy. Like
3: an insurance policy. Hi, Larry Kudlow there. Meanwhile, the Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari echoed the warning from other central banks, telling CNBC that more stimulus is urgently needed to support the U.S. economic recovery.
2: We need to get money in the hands of the 11 million people who are out of work today relative to January. You know, the job market today is roughly as bad as it was at the peak of the Great Recession. Whatever Congress can do with the executive branch, come together aggressively to put money in the hands of people who've lost their jobs and to support small businesses so that we don't have this continuing wave of bankruptcies across the economy. It's just vital that they move quickly, whatever they do. Uh, Neil Kashkari there.
0: Look, I, I think um, on behalf of all those strategists who said it's all about the stimulus, um, I may need to give you an apology because when you looked at the market action yesterday in the wake of President Trump's announcement on Twitter that there would be no new big stimulus package uh, before the election took place, uh, we thought, look, uh, you're going to have the stimulus and then you're going to have More market moves higher as we run towards the election. President Trump announcing on Twitter, you will not get the stimulus. And yet the markets kind of went, ho-hum, we are fed up with this stimulus ping pong. Uh, We are going higher anyway. Uh, The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 1.91%. 530 points here. I know the president came out subsequently and started talking about Uh, idiosyncratic industries getting piecemeal measures. But quite frankly, it came a little while after we already saw the early legs for this rally in place here. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the Treasuries. Because um, was it to do with the Federal Reserve minutes for the September meeting? Well, I think you'd be pretty hard pushed to make that case. Given that what largely came out of those minutes was the fact that there's some division of opinion over actually how firm the new guidance is about letting inflation run hot. And there was one line in particular that I think everybody has rightly seized upon, and it's the one where there is, quote, not unconditional commitment to a particular path Um, in plain english to me that says we are data dependent we will see what happens with the information we get before we decide ultimately what steps we take next Um, it's a no-brainer isn't it ever was it thus but the fact that the fed spelled it out here you you thought may have had some impact on risk appetite but It clearly didn't. And we saw the consequences uh, for not only uh, the way equities traded, uh, we also saw yields a little firmer on the treasuries and we saw the dollar basically go nowhere. A couple of interesting stories that relate to Asia that I think may have some relevance for our trading session here. Generally, the ball has been picked up with regard to the positive close we saw in the United States. Let me just um, point to the South Korean market for a moment. Samsung. Samsung. So many messages about how damaging this pandemic has been to corporate profitability. Not for Samsung. Samsung coming out this morning talking about a two year high for profits. The market needs to take a good look at this. There is some aspect of benefiting perhaps from the American position on Huawei. But ultimately, some positive messaging from Samsung about the impact on the chips business, about what it means for Samsung products and so forth. So profitability, not bad at all. Revenue growth about 6% for Samsung over the quarter. Uh, Not bad numbers. And I just wanted to mention in relation to, I don't know why Hong Kong is a little weaker at this point, but. The suggestion that America might be opening a new offensive on Ant Financial and Tencent, and that may disrupt Ant's IPO in Hong Kong and Shanghai, something that market needs to take a little bit of notice of here. It's a new thrust in the ongoing china u.s war around technology well, what does it mean then if we boil it all down and take a look at uh, the european open at this stage well it's flat to positive some noises uh, around the uh, likelihood of uh, fresh impositions uh over covid uh, to come next uh, next week Keep your eye on that because there are some media suggesting it might be a total closure of restaurants and other leisure outlets and that you may not even be able to go and stay over at your friend's home if that's something you were thinking about doing. But early calls are we are flat to slightly positive uh, in terms of the European trading session and where we're likely to start this morning. Still to come then, uh, French coronavirus cases hit another record while President Macron warns of more pandemic restrictions. We'll have more on that in a moment.
3: And for more on the vice presidential debate and President Trump's call for targeted smaller stimulus packages, check out the Squawk Box podcast. So how much are COVID-19 concerns and Brexit related? Well, I think for many in business and society in the UK, very is the answer there. And as you can see it from the discount that the FTSE trades at. But in the meantime, the European Council President Charles Michel says it's time for the UK to put its cards on the table in Brexit negotiations. Okay, this after formal talks ended without a compromise on a future trade deal. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson's self-imposed deadline for a deal is just one week away. But the UK has warned it will walk away from negotiations if an agreement isn't reached by October 15th. In similar fashion, EU officials say they will not be pressured into making concessions. Uh, The UK has recorded more than 14,000 virus cases on Wednesday, bringing the total number of infections in the country to over 544,000. Over 500 patients have been admitted to hospital over the last week, the highest number since early June. This is the prime minister faced pressure to consider a stricter national lockdown, including tougher measures for pubs and restaurants as infections continue to spread across the country. Well, speaking in the House of Commons, Johnson warned additional local measures will be needed
0: i wish i could pretend mr speaker that uh, everything was going to be rosy in uh, in in the midlands or indeed in london mr speaker where alas we are also seeing infections rise and that's why we need a concerted national effort we need to follow the guidance we need hands face space get a test uh, if you have symptoms and obey the rule of six
3: Spain, meanwhile, will use 140 billion euros from the EU's recovery fund on the virus to spur its economy out of the country's worst recession since the 1930s. Spain currently has the highest viral caseload in Western Europe and is facing an 11 percent economic contraction this year. The prime minister, Pedro Sanchez, said he hopes to use the funds to raise investment spending and create new jobs.
0: The plan we are presenting today is the map for the modernization of our country for the next six years. This is not only about advancing, it's about winning our future and taking a big step forward, all of us, without leaving anyone behind. It's about turning this heavy blow into an opportunity to win our future as a society. We want it to generate an additional impact on our gross domestic product of over 2.5 points annually in the next three years, and we want to create more than 800,000 new jobs in the next three years. Pedro Sanchez there. Well, virus cases in France have hit a new daily record, rising almost 19,000 over the last 24 hours. President Emmanuel Macron has warned fresh measures will be imposed in the areas seeing the worst outbreak levels. Uh, Charlotte, we've also had um, some interesting um, findings from SPF, the health body, um, suggesting that testing has dropped somewhere like 20 to 30 percent since the beginning of September. Here in the UK we keep being told that testing is the key to clamping down on this virus. Um, Are people just choosing not to go and get tested or has there been some rationing of the approach?
6: That's exactly right, Jeff. They have had to control a little bit the the amount of people going into labs because we had some backlogs and long queues. We saw in September after people came back from holidays and before heading back to work, there was long, long queues and and a lot of uh, problems in labs to get uh, tests in place. So they had to ration again and try to prioritize who were getting tests and where. Uh, But now they, um, in the past few days, uh, they conducted about 120,000 tests a day, and they said this is still a key to the to the government's. uh, strategy to try and tackle this uh, new wave of epidemic. So as you mentioned yesterday, this new record, of course, remembering that in the spring, a lot of people were not getting tests. So we think the numbers were much higher, but still a new number record here with 18,700 new cases. The, la- the last uh, record before that was on Saturday with about 17,000 new cases. The concern here is the pressure on hospitals. Of course, this is what uh, the-, the authorities are keeping an eye on. And it's at a three months high at the moment in France with 7,000 and 500 people in hospital with COVID. The pressure on ICUs has been going down very, very slightly in the past few days. So giving a bit of hope here to authorities, We're still 1,400 people in ICU with COVID. That's down from the 7,000 peak that we saw in April. Well, um, so there's still this concern. we heard from President Macron yesterday speaking about uh, potential restrictions that could come into place in the next few days. Take a listen. Bien sûr.
0: In the areas where the virus is circulating faster, especially where it's faster amongst older and more vulnerable population and where more and more ICU beds are occupied, we will have to put in place more restrictions like the ones we've seen in the Rhone and Greater Paris.
6: So President Macron referring to restrictions that be put in place already in Paris and in Marseille in the maximum alert uh, in the past few days, and so we have a press conference this afternoon, by the health minister's weekly press conference where more restrictions in more large cities could be announced uh, in the next few hours that could come into place uh, next week. There's so all concern about half term for schools starting in the next week or so, and whether people will be uh, asked to uh, travel, not travel, or avoid travelling. So so we'll have all eyes on these announcements uh, this afternoon.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express.
6: For more market-moving
0: news, you can head to cnbc.com.
6: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.